Live from Mexico City, this is The Morning Break with Graham Stanley, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Morning Break. My name is Graham Stanley and my special guest today is Chris Temple-Murray, IT Programme Leader and Advanced Teaching Practitioner at Exeter College in the UK. Among other things, we'll be talking about educational technology, engagement, learning and assessment. If you're living, listening live, come and join me. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, as I mentioned just now, I'll be speaking to Chris Temple Murray. Chris works at Exeter College in the UK, and we'll be talking about the effective use of ed tech and the positive benefits that can have on engagement, learning, and assessment. If you're living, listening in live, and you'd like to call in after I've spoken to Chris, then please join me in the studio. The easiest way of doing that is to go to www.ttradio.org, click on the Listen Live button and follow the instructions. You'll have to download the Podbean app to join me. Now, I will be talking to Chris after the Teachers Talk Radio News. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Christian Institute website carries a story on the reminder by Minister of State for Schools, Nick Gibb, that schools in England have a duty to remain politically impartial in their teaching and extracurricular activities. The guidance was published last year. But Mr Gibb was responding to MP Miriam Cates' references to a YouGov poll, which appears to reveal that the majority of UK children are being taught political ideology as fact. And he issued the reminder. Ms Cates was referencing a view that children are being taught that they can be born in the wrong body, as well as resources being used in schools which focus on the topic of gender identity. The DfE guidance comes as Scotland attempts to introduce new legislation on gender recognition, which is opposed by Westminster. The guidance states that schools should not under any circumstances work with or use materials produced by external agencies that take extreme political positions. The Varsity website reports on findings by a right-wing think tank that elite universities were more likely to use progressive terminology on their websites. Cambridge tops the table in the Radical Progressive University Guide, although the think tank Civitas does not appear to see this as a positive. Varsity highlights comments reported in the Daily Mail, 
which warned that half of our universities peddle their walk agenda to students. The think tank generated the findings after exploring university websites and news reports, looking for a series of key phrases including trigger warning, white privilege and anti-racism. Those with high incidences of key phrases were at the top of the table. Varsity acknowledges a view that Cambridge's political culture is to the left of the national one, but also highlights key figures in academia who fe feature prominently in the conservative press. It's hard to stay away from politics as announcements of strikes continued late last week. The TES reports on the continued deadlock in Scotland, whilst the Evening Standard covers talks between ministers and unions in England after the NEU confirmed strike dates for the coming weeks and months. These strikes are set to impact schools in England and Wales, although the BBC further reports on talks in Wales. Its news website reports that teachers and school leaders have been offered a one-off payment by the Welsh Government similar to that offered to health workers, although unions have already said that the offer is not enough. Scottish media outlets have also carried a story about what it describes as fears about violence in schools. A clip now widely shared on social media shows an altercation between two students and that took place on the same day a male pupil was left unconscious following an assault. Whilst Police Scotland have said it's investigating both incidents, it has sparked debate on the state of behaviour in schools, particularly as such incidents have featured in headlines before. The Scottish Government has previously stated they're investing an additional £15 million this year to enhance capacity to effectively meet the needs of young people, and that they were very clear that violence is unacceptable. In further political news, the petition put forward by three men known as the Three Dads Walking will go to Parliament. The men who all lost daughters to suicide want to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum. The petition they set up now has more than 155,000 signatures, which means that it will be discussed in Parliament after previously failing to be heard. Finally, more than 20,000 defibrillators will be sent to almost 18,000 state-funded schools by the end of the academic year. It comes after the government committed to ensuring there was a device in every school last year. The rollout comes after campaigning from the Oliver King Foundation and its founder Mark King, whose son died at 12 from a cardiac arrest while swimming at school. Guidance to support schools has been created, including awareness videos, and Education Secretary Gillian Keegan praised the work of the Oliver King Foundation and described the rollout as a huge milestone. Mr King stated, defibrillators save lives, and that he hoped that families do not have to suffer the heartbreak of unnecessarily losing a child. This is for our Ollie. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, a while ago I asked you what is your go-to piece of tech? This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Ian Kenyon, CEO of Wirral Respite and Alternative Provision, also known as RAP for short. So, Ian, what is your go-to piece of tech in your setting? Thanks, Steve. In our organisation, we are absolutely embedded in sharing our information and our data via the cloud. And there's loads of software out there to do it. And there's a lot of bespoke software for 
our type of organisation, student information management services, uh, the likes of Sims or Arbor or, or, or things like that. But unfortunately, they're all built around big organisations, big schools, uh, schools with up to 1,200 students. Certainly not for schools that have a turnaround of students uh, who are completing courses in 12 weeks and those students who are potentially returning but require new files. We've tried proprietary software. It's very, very expensive. But actually what we've fallen back to is what Google provides. Uh, using G Suite, which is now Google Workplace, we have access to spreadsheets, to um, form filling uh, software for for data collection, uh, Google Docs, which is, you're very familiar with everything via traditional Microsoft offices. Being able to link Docs uh, and Sheets and Forms together has been almost transformational for our organization. It's not the cheapest. Uh, I will say the per user price matches uh, what other software like Zoho or, or Microsoft will do, um, but offers a simpler version for us um, and offers us some interactivity that we've never had before. It handles our email, it handles our, our, our student information, so gathering attendance, it handles our finance, uh, so invoicing. Um, the, the, the way that the suite works, the way that the package works, just works really well for us. But with very little additional investment in time, effort and training, um, Google offers us everything that we need. The final sort of element that, that has been transformational for us is then being able to use proprietary hardware such as Chromebooks or even Android phones and the ability for us to then transfer our data and, and to, to be live in the cloud at all times has been uh, a really good thing for our organisation. So there you have it, my number one go-to. It's definitely got to be Google Workplace. Thank you, Ian. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Do you have a go-to piece of tech? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So, hello, Chris, and thanks for joining me today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. And uh, so I'd like to start by asking you just to talk a little bit about your background and how you became interested in educational technology. Yeah. So uh, I'm just to kind of summarize to begin with, I'm a full time IT lecturer yeah. at Exeter College, which is in Devon in the UK. Um, but in addition to that, part of my role at the college is as what we term an advanced teaching practitioner. And my main role there is to support teaching staff in their practice, to develop their practice, which obviously involves observations and gradings and advice and support and so on. Um, and I, have, I tend to have a focus on digital or ed tech uh, because we're finding increasingly so that it's becoming the norm uh, in a very positive way. So I've been there eight years now and I've been doing this for... Uh, about three years with a gap in the middle. Um, so 80, 18 months kind of uh, in this uh, stretch. And we're finding it's proving very useful. And, and the rate that the technology is moving on is proving, um, well, rapid. So we're, we're rolling things out and we're trying things. And, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's trying things. Um, and so my, my role as kind of a, one of the developers of teachers, if you like, is, is proving very interesting and um, that's helped by a constant supply of ed tech tools and ed tech practices and ed tech um, 
behaviors, I suppose you might call them, learning behaviors and teaching behaviors mm -hmm. that we can try. And I know they're not all perfect, but uh, we can try them out and, and see what works for us. So that's me. So rather busy at, at work, but um, it's Exeter College in Devon and uh, it's, it's a great place to work. Wonderful. And it sounds like you started at a particularly interesting time because, you know, it was just before the pandemic, I suppose, you started in that role. Is in that, that right? Role. Uh, that's right. So at the start of the pandemic, uh, we were selected as one of the ed tech colleges as part oh. of the ed tech program, which the idea of that was that overnight schools and colleges had to move from what we would term traditional teaching to online teaching. And in order to ensure that staff and students had the best experience, the government, along with partners, set up a program called the EdTech Demonstrator Program yeah. uh, and asked various partners, various colleges and, and schools to um, provide support to others around the country. And so that's what I did. So I, I kind of um, got involved in that and I supported um, dozens and dozens of schools and colleges across the country. Um, and we had regions, but it's kind of free to join for anyone. So yeah. um, although we are Southwest based from the where we were delivering it from, it didn't really matter. Anybody could join it. And so our, our, my job, along with some others, was to go on to Zoom calls or Teams calls or whatever the platform of choice was and find out what they're trying to do and find solutions to help them meet those goals. Uh, and so that proved really interesting. And um, it included posting videos to YouTube, writing guides, as well as live demonstrations and live support, kind of like CPD sessions, I suppose. Um, and having done that for nine, 10 months, I then um, applied for this role and was successful. And so now alongside my teaching, which is about 85% of my time, uh, for the remaining 15% or so, I am one of the advanced teaching practitioners. Uh, and I do a similar thing in-house, although it's not purely focused on technology and digital. It's focused on, you know, pedagogical practice and, and good teaching with a digital twist in my case. But um, so that's kind of how I got here. And uh, it's yeah, it's it's great. I, and I love to share what we've what we've been doing. I listen to podcasts, including um, TTR, and I think it's. If you're not learning, I think it can be very dull. I think it's always good to oh, yeah. develop and learn. And and to pass on what you find out is part of the benefit, I think, part of the joy. So, Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm in agreement totally with, with that. Mm. And uh, and Chris, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in knowing how you became interested in educational technology. Is it something, is technology always something mm. that you were interested in? Um, before you became a teacher or is it something that you got more interested in when using it in the classroom how did you get involved yeah well um i've always been interested in it and i've always picked up it or not not so much programming but most it fairly quickly um i think partly just because of a passion for it um and that i could see the benefits of it so um whether it was at school as a student or whether it was at university or whatever, or in, in various jobs, I've always seen the digital side of things and the IT side of things. I've not always made use of them, but I've always been aware of them and developed myself in them. Um, so it started off by um, 
kind of a bit of a backstory traveling to teach uh, in the US over the summer uh, back in 2012. Uh, nothing to do with IT. It was, it was a sports um, uh, camp. So nothing to do with IT at all. In fact, it was complete detox. There was no Wi-Fi, there was no nothing, which is great. We should try it sometime. Um, uh, and so I ended up doing that and I came back and I worked as a teaching assistant in a secondary school, which was good. And I always said, if you can, if you can be a teaching assistant, you can do almost anything. It's, um, it's, it's a hard job and I have a lot of um, time for the, the enablers or the teaching assistants in our classrooms across the country. Um, having done that, I then became a cover teacher. Again, not specializing in digital or IT, but just um, kind of thinking if I could do this for a year, I could, I'll then go and do my teaching degree. Yeah. Uh, so before you know, paying out for my degree, I thought, well, let's see if we can do this for a year. Did that um, and did my PGCE. And even at that point, the PGCE followed the path of my previous degree, which was in media and journalism. Yeah. So my, my PGCE was teaching a level and BTEC media students and journalism students and design students and that sort of thing. And of course we use IT in that, but it's not really an IT subject. It's just using some of the tools, uh, video production, that sort of thing. Um, and only after the PGCE, when I was looking for a job, did I consider IT? And looking back, I think, why didn't I consider it before? But I think that's part of the benefit, really. I, I didn't. And so I applied and, and got a part-time job in IT um, at, at the college right now. So I haven't moved. Um, and then it built up quickly to full time and, and the rest is history. But I think it just goes to show you haven't got to take the most direct path. You've got to find the right way and where you end up is, is or where you are, you know, each stage is important and then you'll end up somewhere interesting at the end. But I, I didn't study computer science. I didn't study IT beyond A level. Um, I, it's just, I just pick it up fairly naturally uh, with the exception of most programming. Um, that's not really my thing. Web development is, is okay, but the rest is, is not my thing, but, I, but we have other staff that are amazing at that, you know, so yeah. we all play to our strengths and um, we have a great team at the college about 14, 15 IT lecturers and uh, we're looking for more. So if you'd like to apply, please do. Um, and it is a skill that's in, in huge demand. So, you know, our students can see the benefit. Uh, staff are, are very happy to be developing themselves all the time. And, and I think it's only going to grow. So who knows where it's going to go from here. But um, that's how I ended up as a, as a program leader and then as, a, as what we call an ATP at the college. And, and now I get to share my passion and, and skills with lots of other people who are perhaps less tech savvy. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear that that, that your your personal journey in, into that. Mm. And is it easier since the pandemic to persuade teachers, for example, to get involved in educational technology? I might imagine it is. Yes, I think it is. Uh, there's still reluctance, uh, especially in some subject areas, um, particularly your languages and your humanities and that sort of thing. But then in other areas that you would initially think would be reluctant, like the uh, catering departments, the sports departments, um, they adopt it extremely quickly. In fact, they, they, they run with it. Um, so I, I think the pandemic forced us all to, oh, not overnight, but within a few days, change from our traditional methods 
especially if you were teaching a non-techie subject. You know, if you're teaching mm-hmm. IT, it's a bit different. But for most other subjects, they had to change everything they were doing almost overnight. And then we had to teach via Teams or Zoom or whatever it was. And that showed that we can do it. And that mm-hmm. if you need to adapt overnight, it's not perfect, but if you need to adapt overnight, you can. And then you can fairly quickly develop your skill set and develop your ability to use these tools. And I think that's remained with a lot of staff. Um, they have the confidence that if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you tried. And what, you know, what can go wrong? Not a lot. You just try something else. Or if that tool didn't work with your group, then don't use it again. You know, so I think staff are less afraid to try new things. And they're also well aware that there's much more support out there now, which is hugely beneficial. And people are talking about it, you know, um, like the podcast and, and on YouTube and, and everywhere else. It's, it's, it's common knowledge now, whereas beforehand, I think it was it was for the geeks out there wasn't it it was for the for those that were naturally interested in and were seeking it out whereas now it's in front of you so in answer to your question yes I think people are more willing uh, absolutely and a major part of that is there's a lot more support out there now so they can get started and, and make use of it right of course and has everything gone back to face to face teaching now um totally or is there still some kind of online element to what teachers do so i can only obviously speak for the college but no we are fully face-to-face right um we don't offer um a a split learning environment you know a blended learning environment i should say we don't offer that the exception being i've had a student who uh has uh had an operation for example um and they would be able to catch up remotely, but we're not streaming our lessons and we're not recording our lessons. Uh, and I think that's the right thing to do because the resources we provide, whether it's a presentation or OneNote, which I'll talk about later or whatever it may be, I think from that you can gain enough. You don't need to have everything recorded because it could go the other way where students would be um, very keen to stay at home because they can just watch it at, at leisure. Yeah. Um, the structure and attending a class and socializing with the groups, all those other skills are lost if we turn fully remote. And so I think it's very important they're in and and taking part as a group. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think um, it it makes sense what you've just said. Hmm. I'm going to go back to one thing you mentioned before is that the um, catering and sports Hmm. departments were interested you found they were interested in education and technology now not knowing much about teaching catering or sports i'm mm. i'm fascinated to know what educational technology is incorporated into those two subjects yeah so um i only know about the catering side of things because i i was um placed with that particular faculty mm-hmm. uh, the hospitality faculty Hospitality, hair and beauty, we call them. Yeah. Uh, I was placed, I was linked with them last year. And <clears throat> in, in the ATP role that I, I have, we're placed with certain faculties. So we focus on certain subject areas. Um, and last year, I was one of them was with the, the, the HHB or hospitality department. And I found that they, they use tech in a different way. So they have a camera in the ceiling above the demonstration area. Oh, wow. Whether when they're cooking, whatever they're cooking, 
and there's a TV you know, behind or next to the teacher so that they can clearly show from above what's being done. So a visualizer, basically. Just visualize a modern visualizer. Yeah. It's just a just a camera. I don't know right. what sort, but maybe a weapon. It's stuck in the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, mounted in the ceiling and a TV behind it, and and there we are. Um, the next step, I suppose, would be to record that so they can use it later on. But this was just a live feed. Um, class notebook, you know, part of Microsoft's OneNote, is very popular um, across the college, really, in a lot of areas, but particularly in in, in one of the, in uh, HHB and it allows the students to take in say an iPad or a phone or whatever into their prep kitchen not the kitchen where they do the cooking but the prep kitchen and they mm-hmm. can see all their notes and they can photograph the evidence as they're going and it's it's not overly techy it's not over use of digital but it's good use of digital and I think that's what's changed post pandemic is people have thought well that would be quite useful if we did that let's give it a go um right. You know, if, if they're doing their write-ups and they talk about how they diced the chicken or how they chopped this particular joint of beef or whatever, you know, uh, they can photograph it as they go or video it as they go. And, and that has a lot of value. So that's the food side. In terms of sport, they will film their matches, basketball mm-hmm. or football or whatever it is. And then they'll look back and they'll annotate them and they'll, they'll see what went well and what didn't go so well. Um, I suppose a bit like professional sport, but this is now reaching education and right. it doesn't have to cost a huge amount of money. It can just be a camera at the sidelines that's, you know, halfway up the the seating or, or whatever. Um, but it just gives them a better sight overview of what's going on. And um, I imagine all the uh, teams benefit from that because although you know what you did and the people next to you, you don't know what the rest of the field were doing at the same time or the rest of the court or pitch or whatever you're on. So, um, yeah, benefits there in, in terms of just using standard technology to benefit the students, really. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. In fact, mm. I just remembered my, my brother um, played a lot of cricket when he was younger. And years ago, one of the things he, he did was actually um, use video cameras to help with um fast bowling so mm-hmm. looking filming bowlers playing cricket train not in in actual matches but actually uh while training and then looking back at the footage and analyzing what what the person bowling could could change for yeah. example to be able to change the technique because of course you can't see yourself do that unless you use video so i think it makes complete sense what you're talking That's about right. Yeah, that's right. And it, it doesn't even need a person behind it, especially for something like cricket and the bowlers. You could have it on a tripod and it yeah. could be set there and you could record the whole game and off you go. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, it doesn't need additional staffing. It doesn't need particularly techie people. It just requires a little bit of thought to put it in place um, before the game or before yeah. you cook the dish or whatever subject it may be. Um, now, yeah. in IT, it's a little bit different, but we'll go into that a bit later. Of course, yeah, and and going back to using video, I think one of the most useful things I ever did in my own teaching, um, an English language teacher, was when I recorded a class of mine which was particularly difficult and had hmm. um, the students in that class, they were primary students, they had behavioural problems, 
and I was persuaded to record the class by my line manager, um, the place where I worked. And um, everything went badly. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was the kind of lesson that nightmares are made of. And, yeah. um, but it was all captured on film. And I subsequently, part of the reason why it went badly was actually the inter- the the obstruction having the camera in the classroom on right. a tripod actually produced a, another element that the students reacted against that mm-hmm. um, that caused in, caused problems um, on it on its own. But um, looking back on that footage with my line manager after the class, I was extremely embarrassed. But you know, he took me through it, stopped. We, we talked about each moment of the lesson that was recorded mm. and what what happened when I saw yeah. things looking back on that camera footage that I wouldn't I didn't notice when I was actually teaching um, and noticed some of the behavior of the students that took me by surprise and what provoked it etc I was a completely different teacher after mm-hmm. that experience it was like a day and night between those two experiences. I've become a, so much more of a better teacher through that one recording and yeah. analysis of that lesson. So I, I think that for me was like a real aha moment of mm-hmm. how educational technology can can improve practice. Don't know if you've ever had any similar kind of aha moment, Chris. <laughs> um, yes. So when I was doing my PGCE. Um, I did a similar thing, but I used an a iPhone and stuck it in the shelf right. um, and a, a college phone. Um, and I recorded the whole session, which was an hour and a half. And then I watched it back. And there was some good stuff. And there was some stuff that needed improvement. But you're right. It's, it's a really useful thing to do. And I think sometimes we get so used to the way we do things. We never take the abstract view we never yeah. zoom out of it and look back as if we're a student because this camera was sat back or sat you know placed back on a shelf where the students would be kind of right. their height their positioning in the room and so though I, although i always had a clear view of the board or a clear view of what was going on they may not and so i think one of the things that i've done ever since you know from my whole teaching career so far is move around and ensure that students are aware of what's going on, ensure they understand, ensure they can see what they need to see, not just with things like the projectors and smart boards and that sort of thing, but even worksheets or, or can they hear me clearly or, you know, are they sat in the best place compared to where, you know, with everyone else? Should I move them away? And so I tend to take more of an abstract view now. And you're right, ever since uh, I filmed it way back during my PGCE year. And uh, it's very useful. We, I think we need to take more of more of that sort of approach, um, both in digital lessons, as in online lessons, if we're still delivering those in some cases, mm-hmm. and in terms of physical lessons in the classroom, we need to um, make sure we're looking at some of our work as if we're a student, not with a lot of the background knowledge that we have in our subjects. So we need to ensure that we're not jumping ahead, you know? So I haven't had the kind of the wow moment but I think that was a significant moment that made me think well 
what are the students getting out of this? If I was sat in their place, would I want anything to be different? And that can be really beneficial sometimes. Wow, yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. I think it's, it's really uh, useful advice for teachers to actually do the same. You can learn mm. so much about observing yourself teach and trying to um, put yourself in the shoes of the, the students as well. So, Chris, yeah. you, you mentioned a couple of tools, et cetera, that you mm. uh, use quite a lot or that you encourage teachers to use. Do you want to go back and, and talk a little bit more about some of those? OneNote, et cetera? Yeah, so, exactly. So um, OneNote, which is part of the Microsoft 365 suite, mm-hmm. um, in particular, Class Notebook, which is the education element of it. Now, yeah. it's all within the OneNote application, for those that aren't aware, but it's, it is tailored towards being in in the classroom uh, and now that's built into teams and and everything else Um, and it's proven to be very beneficial in terms of the way a lot of us certainly in IT and in many other area uh, subject areas as well it's proven to be very beneficial um, because it's removed any excuses around I've forgotten my book or I've lost my work or um, I'm not sure where my notes are from last time because as you type, a bit like a Google document would, as you type, it saves. There is no, uh, no chance to lose it. Um, and it becomes very rich. So rather than uh, Word documents, which we used to use before, because we're always in an IT classroom, obviously, teaching IT, yeah. rather than Word documents, um, we now use uh, class notebook pages, which we tend to set up uh, as a teacher. And I'll go into the, the layout in a moment. Um, they can add their text, of course, and they type whatever they like, but then it can add YouTube videos or uh, graphics or graphs or GIFs or whatever they want. They can just embed them and it's kind of embedded in a rich way. So it becomes um, when they look back through for their, for their revision or for their assessment or whatever they're working towards um, to ensure that knowledge is embedded, it, it, they, it becomes a, a very rich learning experience rather than a very dry, dull one. And that in turn ensures they stay focused and benefit fully from it. Um, But we do provide a structure and this goes back to the template that I mentioned. Um, I have tried many a way over quite a few years now, tried many a way to give students the best chance of making effective notes that are useful, but they're not for my benefit. And I don't, I look at them and I say, that's great or it's not so great, but I don't grade them. And they know that. So if they want to write in pink text and comic sans, they can. I'd rather they didn't, but they can. Um, and if they want to have a bright blue background, they can. So it's very much customizable. But the default template is kind of three boxes. You have the title at the top, obviously. The left top left would be lesson names or learning outcomes or session names, whatever you want to call it. The right-hand box would be a resource, could be a worksheet, could be a PowerPoint file, could be um, a quiz, you know, anything. And then below that is is a big box, takes about 80% of the page up. Uh, and that's where they make their notes. Just an empty box in some cases. And in other cases, we'll have um, predetermined questions on there with spaces for them to answer. And I have found, especially with my uh, level two students, BTEC level two, which is kind of year 11 equivalent or year 11 and a half, I suppose. Uh, I found if you give them a box to write in, they tend to fill it. And if you ask them to write an answer without a box, they tend to write a lot less. So I'm not putting anything in the box, 
except the word answer and colon, but they tend to fill it if I write the word answer in the box. And so that's what we do. Wonderful. Yeah, so that's what we do. And it's the same across all of our units. Um, so students get a consistent approach. Um, and you're, it's only a very basic table with a title on it. There's nothing fancy in there. Where the value comes is when they add their notes and their resource and, and their videos and so on. Um, I do make the I do turn the page background to a light pink because having done some research, I found that those with dyslexia within my groups respond very well to a light pink and they find it easier to read. And so rather than um, setting it to light pink just for those students, I did it across the board and everyone seems to like it. So light pink it is. And of course, using the application, they can change it to whatever color they want. So if they prefer blue or yellow, then they're free to do that. They have full rights over their page. Um, the advantage of something like OneNote is as they're typing it in, I can, of course, walk around the room. But during lockdown, I could see live from, from the desk, from in the office or at home, I could see what they were typing live. Um, and we could communicate back and forth. And if they need some support, I could see where they'd got to and so on. So there are, there's a lot of value in, in something like uh, class notebook within OneNote, um, especially when it comes to marking and other things. But we'll go into more detail in a moment. But I think as a basic tool to have a page that you can click anywhere, type anywhere, add anything you like that saves itself, you can't get much better than that. Um, and it's a little bit like Google Sheets. So if you're a Google-based school, Google, sorry, Google Docs uh, and Google Classroom, it's, it's a similar approach. Although um, I think Class Notebook is a little bit more open and a little bit more free flow, really. Wow, that sounds uh, really interesting, very mm. useful. Um, so you mentioned marking. How, how do you approach marking this type of work? Yeah, so the, we have to, this is how I would do it. And obviously it depends on uh, each teacher. But uh, what we have is assignments uh, mm -hmm. and controlled assignments and that sort of thing. And that tends to be completed in Microsoft Forms because of the time limits um, and or in Microsoft Word, uh, less so in OneNote and, and Class Notebook, uh, purely because of the control factor. We can control it, they can submit the work and they can't change it in the future. Mm -hmm. But for the majority of their the majority of their time and all their note taking it's in class notebook and we can go through and you can um in class notebook you can review any page that you've sent out to the whole group so i mentioned i send out a template based on that lesson's topic or that week's topic or whatever we're doing um, and i can then review each uh student's work on that particular page so very quickly i can click on the page title and it would jump between the students without me having to go to student, the unit number, the page, and so on. It just jumps between them really quickly. And I can give feedback in the form of digital stickers, uh, which despite the fact they're 16, 17, 18, they still like stickers. So these are digital stickers, uh, you know, emoji uh, stickers or big ticks or big crosses or whatever. Um, and then you can write some feedback below it if you want to. Um, and if you have a touch device, you can, of course, write it with a pen. Now, I don't tend to do that uh, because um, I prefer to type, but you know, some teachers will circle things, underline things as if it were paper. But the moment you've marked it, it's available to the student. They haven't got to wait uh, until 
the following lesson, which could be in several days' time. Uh, they can see it live if they wanted to. They could see you doing what you do. So it's really valuable because it takes out that delay in them improving their work or just in their notes or, or whatever. So that's for kind of summative tasks and um, you know, in-class uh, assessment to check progress. For the more formative uh, and formal tasks and, and assessments, that still goes via Moodle at the moment. So we'll have documents, Word or PowerPoint or Excel, whatever they're doing, um, and they'll submit them via Moodle, which timestamps them, locks them down, and we'll mark them in the same way, but they don't get their feedback until the whole class has been marked because then they have the amount, you know, they have an equal amount of time then to, if they're allowed to, improve it and resubmit if they meet the conditions. Uh, but for day-to-day -day work and day-to-day -day feedback, Class Notebook serves us really well. Oh, sounds, sounds great. Sounds very, very useful indeed. Mm -hmm. And how have the students reacted to this type of marking and this, uh, I imagine, quite positive? Yeah, they have. Um, I think one of the benefits is, although we as IT haven't been paper-based for over a decade, I mean, I've mm -hmm. been there eight years and it's never been paper-based. So yeah. other areas are, um, but I, I'm mainly speaking for IT. And we find that because it's accessible wherever they are, on their mobile phone, at home on their computers or tablets or whatever, and back in college, because it's accessible, they, they read it on the bus or the train or whatever. And I think sometimes if you give them a piece of paper with the feedback on, it's easily lost, easily forgotten at the bottom of the bag, scrunched up. Um, and then when you ask them to bring it in next time, it's easily forgotten again. So this solves a lot of those issues that you can face. Mm -hmm. um, and admittedly, it doesn't teach them to look after things because it's just there. But mm -hmm. in the modern world they're going into, they'll have to look after physical things less and less. And so mm -hmm. I don't really think that's a long-term issue. Um, as long as they take care in what they're doing and, and the work they do, that's what we're after, more so than keeping a piece of paper nice and flat. Of course. And as you say, for, for the world of work that they will um, soon be facing, I think it makes sense. Everything will be more and more digital. And mm. things like managing digital resources, I imagine, is something that uh, they'll have to deal with and something that is that yeah. something that you help them try to help them with as well we yeah we do um we we of course as part of their course and i'm teaching i'm talking about the it students but i suppose this mm -hmm. applies to any student really they have to be able to manage their files and folders or folders and files um uh effectively and efficiently so that they can then recall that information when they need it um and whether that's in your class notebook or in a traditional file folder structure, um, it doesn't really matter. They need to have those skills and they're not taught directly, but they are required to use those skills and develop those skills every day. So um, I think they're, they're certainly covered in enough detail that they, they're improving every day that they're working. Um, and although we've moved away generally from local storage with your, your, your local drive, um, it's all on one drive now. Um, and they, of course, have an enormous amount of storage available on there. They could put you know, masses up there, but they still have to know where it is. They still have to be organized mm -hmm. with their folders to be able to go and find it. And so the, the interface they use might be different to what we might use, 
with our file explorer or finder or in the mac or whatever but they still have to be able to navigate their folders to then find the files they're after so they are developing through practice rather than through theory i think and that's that's not a bad thing oh, it can only be very useful for them i think mm. and you said and that's how it um yeah organizes everything have you had any instances when teachers of other subjects either because they've been prompted by students or because they've heard or seen what you've done have have asked for help to do something similar yeah so this is where my my other role comes in with the there's the advanced teaching practitioner or one of them mm-hmm. one of about 10 i think in the college uh, and we tend to look after a faculty or two each yeah and that may be your faculty and one other or it may just be two that you're not part of as a teaching team um and i think by showing staff within those faculties what they can do and what the students can do um they're they're far more willing to adopt it and the likes of class notebook has been a real success um we are a microsoft showcase college uh again Mm -hmm. it's been renewed uh we're an apple showcase college as well and we find that by using in our case the microsoft suites and the microsoft tools uh it just tends to work very very well you know the vast majority of our computers run windows um nearly all the the students at home run windows um and even if they don't the you know the macbooks that the, the students bring in sometimes they're all able to run Microsoft 365, unlike the old, you know, the, I think the olden days, unlike before when mm-hmm. you had real issues with compatibility. Now it doesn't really matter what you're using. Um, you can just access it through a browser if you're really stuck. Uh, so a lot of the challenges have been broken down. They're not there anymore. And it allows us to go into other faculties to share what you can do. Um, and that could be basics, you know, Kahoot and Plickers and Padlet and all these other ed tech tools that we know of. Um, as well as your class notebook and, and teams and and uh, uh, emerging now is is you know chat um, gtp and our ai focus which we are moving towards um, and that's that's just the next thing isn't it it's always something new and we have to identify what's going to be beneficial and what's going to be a nice toy um, so yeah, I say we we tend to act as a bit of a filter. We try things out as the ATP team or as the IT team, especially. And then uh, we have an innovations team who try things out all the time as well. And then we're able to disseminate some of that to where it might apply and where it might be useful, such as the hospitality team or the sports team, sports faculty or or whatever it may be. Um, and, and the needs of each faculty will differ because their students are different and the subjects are different. So it may not be the same across the board. Of course. So interesting to hear you mention ChatGPT. It seems to have <laughs> taken the educational world by storm. And yes. there's a lot of very worried teachers out there about what the implications are as far as uh, education is concerned, how it may disrupt things. What, what, are your, what is your take on that? Have you had a chance to play with ChatGPT much? Yes. Uh, now, being... Um, a lecturer in IT, we, we do teach AI and machine learning and everything and everything that goes with it and the, the security risks and the pros, the cons, the everything. Um, and I think generally there's a lot of potential. 
Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to look at it as we looked at the calculator when that came, became, you know, popularized and accessible across the board uh, for every student in their bag. We didn't suddenly stop teaching maths. We just adapted. And yeah. what we need to do is, is look at the features the likes of chat GTP have, but also the likes of Copilot and everything else that's out there and use the good bits and be aware of the bits that aren't so useful. Um, I, I think most days this week, I've probably saved a couple of hours by using an AI tool to develop uh, things that would probably be slightly mundane to have to write out. Um, whereas using using the tools we have on uh, available to us like ChatGTP, it takes out a lot of that mundane and that time consuming stuff. Most important bit being I can then focus and use that time on my students or developing a resource to suit the needs of my students more precisely um, rather than identifying the best way to write that long email you know or whatever it may be so huge potential uh, and I think we are at a turning point with with AI um, it's I've heard it's it's a bit like the iPhone moment for smartphones suddenly it becomes accessible and usable um, although it's, it's not new in any way, it is now accessible and it's very easy to use. And at the moment, very cheap. That may change in the future, but at the moment, it's very, very cheap. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think it could take over really in a positive way. Um, it's not going to replace the teachers. It's not going to change any of that. But I think it will allow us to really specialize and, and use our skill set as um educational experts to you know develop resources for individual students or for individual groups of students and to really ensure we're getting the best out of them because it will take away a lot of those tasks that take up a lot of time um so yeah i think it it's the future and it could be very very beneficial yes no i i tend to agree with you i think we do need to embrace it and need to understand it and uh, look at uh, what it means to the way we teach and the way students learn in the future or, or, yes. or not even the future right now. Well, now I think, I think in terms of where they learn and the way we assess, we need to of course. adapt the way we are assessing because the, the long form answer that we were asking them to write before Christmas can now be written by something else. And we may not be able to tell. Um, so we, I am, I don't know yet, but I imagine we're going to adjust the way we assess um, slightly, and we may have more in-class assessments. We may have more practical assessments. We may have more presentations and video recordings and voice recordings. But that's not a bad thing because out there in in the world of employment, that's what you have more of. It's not too often you're asked to write an essay to prove the value of your job. You know, you're asked to present or you're asked to pitch or you're asked to make yeah. a video or whatever. It's So it's only becoming more relevant. And I think this, a bit like lockdown did, this might force the world of education to um, pay attention a bit more, um, you know, and, and, and benefit from it if they do. Of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, the more that school aligns itself to, what people are actually doing out there 
outside of the educational world, the better really in, in, you know, in the world of work, for example, which, you know, presumably that's what we are trying to present, prepare our students for. So I think, yeah, what, what you're suggesting is, is totally sensible really. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, just to add to that, we, we speak to, because we're the, we're one of the final steps potentially mm-hmm. of education that they they can receive that's fully funded before the world of work so they could leave us and they could go into in employment or university whatever they want but mm-hmm. you know quite a few do go in straight into employment and they need to have the skills to handle tools such as chat gtp um, in the workplace because they'll be adopted you know across the world but the training will be in how do I know if what it said, because it's very believable, how do I know what it said is correct? How do I reference it? How do I confirm that it's accurate? And so those skills are going to need developing. And I think that's very important. It's not a, um, it hasn't made anyone redundant. You know, it's not going to immediately, uh, but we do need to use it to our advantage. And I think through effective training of staff, through CPD and effective training and, and education of students through their through their lessons and tutorials and so on, I think we can make it a very positive tool rather than a threat. Yeah, I think for me, it, it tends to highlight the importance that will probably uh, be, it'll be more important things like digital literacy and and actually we may end up trying to teach students how to write prompts for these AI tools. Yes. Uh, I know yeah. with playing with the AI art tools, for example, that the important thing, if you want to get something worthwhile out of AI uh, tools mm. that create sort of art is actually being able to understand the value of writing very detailed prompts. And that's something that probably will be the case maybe. That's right. Um, and also understanding the language that it's going to um, recognize. Um, a lot of the time, the language it's going to recognize most clearly is a structured language that doesn't give any deviation from, you know, it doesn't give it any second choices. It's, it's very direct. And that's not a bad thing in business either. Um, so, you know, I know our conversation here is is quite free flowing and, and quite detailed, but in the world of work, very often you've got to get to the point. And I think yeah. this could help students do just that. Yes, uh, I, I tend to agree. So, Chris, we're kind of coming towards the end of our time. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed uh, speaking to you today. I'd like to maybe wrap up by ask. well, first of all, asking, is there anything else you think we maybe um, that you thought we might be talking about that we haven't had the chance to to speak about yet um no i i think the i just want to touch on the assessment a bit mm-hmm. a little bit if that's okay um i think what we need to do although we can assess through these digital tools which is all very well yeah. we need to ensure that we're well, two part we need to ensure we're using the power of these tools to mark the responses where possible so that again we can spend more time on the longer form answers and more time on the presentations and things. But we also need to ensure students don't lose the art of um, answering a question really accurately. So 
although you don't teach from an exam, you do teach exam technique. And it's important because in, again, the world of work, they, especially in IT, but in other areas as well, they're going to go on and, and hopefully complete additional qualifications and certs and so on from the likes of Cisco and Microsoft and, and whatever. Uh, and it's very important that they understand what the questions are asking in that assessment. So although AI can benefit us and every automated um, Q&A can benefit us, we need to ensure they're using it for the good, not to be lazy. Um, yeah. And I think it's our job as teachers to ensure that's the case. Um, just earlier this week, I, I asked uh, ChatGTP to write 10 revision questions on a topic that I used in the classroom. I gave it to them for homework and it did a great job. But I had to check those questions were correct. And you have to have that knowledge to make sure that the questions that it's asking make sense compared to what you have taught in the past. They apply to the spec and then they're pitched at the students at the right level. Um, and so that's where our skill set comes in. And it's not just students interpreting, interpreting the questions, it's staff ensuring that those questions are suitable because a lot of this AI can spit out responses that read very, very well, but may be completely false. And so yes. we, ha we have to teach our students part of that. And, you know, um, if we're using it to assist with assessment, a bit like we now use Google, you know, when they're, when they're yeah. not during their, their formative assessment, but certainly during their, their practice and so on, they can develop their knowledge. Uh, we have to ensure they're aware of how you know, to en enable their filter. They have to be aware of how to filter things out and confirm things. So um, these tools, whether they're AI based or not, are not there to solve every problem, but they're certainly there to benefit uh, and solve many, I think. And, yeah. and we need to ensure we continue to develop as teachers in all areas, um, but especially digital. Yeah, it's a bit like what you were saying about the calculator before. The, mm. the fact that calculators exist doesn't remove the need for understanding maths. In fact, exactly. you can only really use a calculator effectively if you know, um, if you know something about maths to be able to check yeah. the answers and, and actually to know what to, how to input into the calculator, really. Exactly. And, and like we said with the chat GTP and others, you have to know what to ask it. Yeah. Uh, and then you and then you have to confirm the answer is probably what it should be. So there's a there's still just as much skill there, but it may be slightly adjusting what, what that skill is requiring you to do. Um, yeah. and, use, uh, using these tools to become more productive, uh, as yeah. I said, not not to use these tools to replace or to become lazy, but actually to be able to get a lot more done than you would normally be able exactly. to. Exactly. Um, and this is just the latest version of that. Um, you know, a few, uh, I don't know, five years ago, Class Notebook was the latest version, and it's still proving extremely useful. And we're still developing it with our and training our staff in it um, because of the benefits it offers. You know, yeah. if when you compare a sheet of A4 notes from Word or that have been handwritten to a, a document in, in Class Notebook that's been written up, um, with YouTube videos and rich media and maybe voice notes and a diagram. It's, it's just, you look back and think, wow, you know, the benefit this new method can give me is enormous. Um, but then, you know, to conclude, we, we mustn't look at everything that's digital as being the right one. Sometimes the older method is, is the better one. So we have to 
we have a filter and we have to ensure students are using these tools in the right way. Definitely. One of, one of the most interesting things I, I read, I think it was on LinkedIn that I saw this week, was actually um, this reminder that ChatGPT, for example, is a large language model and not mm-hmm. a knowledge base. So what it's doing is producing answers in language to the questions that we are asking it. It's not necessarily producing the right answers. That's right. And But they read as if they're right, don't they? They read as so, if they're right. It's you know, easily you deceived. It. That's right. And the human brain goes, yeah, it looks pretty good to me. That'll do. Um, but we have to know as practitioners, but most importantly, our students have to know whether what it's producing is is right and if it is then that's amazing because it saves them a lot of time and they can spend their time doing more useful things developing to a higher level or whatever but we have to teach the basics to start with yeah so fact checking and exactly uh, understanding uh, where the answers are coming from yeah definitely yes exactly that's great well Chris, I'm going to wind up now. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. And, thank you. It's uh, been and great. hearing about your work and, and interests. Mm. So thank, thank you very you. much for joining it's me. Been, it's been a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to today's special guest, Chris Temple-Murray, for joining me to talk about IT and all of you who joined us live. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows on all week, and you can join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.